Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and so it happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uli, Uli. So here, Daniel, he has this vision, and here he is by the river Uli. And he's translated there. This is not where he was in the natural. He was taken there in the spirit. And verse 3 says, Then I lifted my eyes and saw... And there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the highest one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that can deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. So what is this ram with two horns? Again, it's figurative. It's not literal. He's not literally, uh, you know, God's not literally showing him a ram for the purpose of showing him just a, an animal. It's figurative, just like all the other visions that Daniel has interpreted. And God helps us out. We don't have to try to figure it out. All we have to do is go down to verse 20. And the angel Gabriel tells Daniel what this ram represents. Verse 20, he says, The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. The kings of Media and Persia. Again, kings can also be translated kingdoms. And so again, just like we saw in previous chapters, God is talking to Daniel about some future kingdoms, empires. And just like in chapter 7, when we looked over in chapter 7, Daniel, he saw four different beasts. Remember, he saw the lion, which was symbolic of Babylon. Then he saw a bear, which was symbolic of Media Persia. So that's exactly what he's seeing again here. Except now instead of a bear, it's a ram. If you remember, going back to chapter 7, the bear, which represented Persia, was raised up on one side. It had ribs and it was raised up on one side. Here we see two horns and one is higher than the other. This represents the higher horn represents the the higher power or the more dominant power of the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? So you just see, again, another witness of what we already saw in chapter 7. And from its capital, Shushan and Susa, in Persia, they conquered lands to the west, north, and south, just like we see this ram pushing in those directions and conquering. All right? Exciting? History. It's amazing how Daniel, he saw ahead. He saw a history in the future. You know, you and I, we will look at a photo album and we'll look at the past. But here he's he's having a photo album that is to come. He's seeing Polaroid pictures that haven't been taken yet in the natural. And he's recording these things so that future generations could see how these things came to pass and begin to understand God's plan for mankind, all right, throughout history. Nothing catches God by surprise. God already sees ahead. He already sees our future. He sees what's coming. We got to watch about being anxious about things. You know, we look and we see so many things taking place in our nation, in our world today, that are real troubling things. 
But you and I are connected to the living God who knows the past, the present, and the future. He already sees the future. So we just got to flow with him. He's already seen ahead. He has already provided for us. So we just want to make sure we're in the flow with the Holy Spirit. Because if we're in the flow with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be caught off guard, unprepared for the events that the future holds for us. Because God has already seen ahead and he's provided. So we just got to yield to his provision. Pray out his plan. Pray out his will in the earth. All right, verse 5. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moving with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. Everybody say great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. So who is this? What does this uh, male goat represent? Well, for the answer, thank God we're going to have to try to figure it out. I like when Gabriel gives us the answers, don't you? Well, he does. Verse 21. Verse 21. The angel told him, told Daniel, said, And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. Well, see again. Chapter 7. Babylon was the first. Persia was the second. Persian Empire was the second. The third was Greece. So here we're seeing the third, actually he only mentions two here, but it would be the third. It's right after Persia. He mentions the kingdom of Greece, which came after the Medo-Persian Empire. It says the large horn that is between the eyes of the first king. Let me read verse 21. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Does anybody know who that first king is? Someone great. Alexander the Great, all right? Alexander the Great was the first king. And then it says in verse 22, as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. So this broken horn represents the death, the sudden death of Alexander the Great, he died at 33 years of age. It was, a, it was a sudden thing when he died. And when he died, his four generals took, divided up the kingdom. And so then it became divided into four different kingdoms. Okay? Uh, verse 9. Out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Now we saw a little horn back in chapter 7. And it became very apparent to me. From the scriptures. From the language and how it fitted with other scriptures. Like in the book of Revelation. That it was talking about America. So America has its place in prophecy. However, this horn is different. This isn't America. But this is representative of the Roman Empire. Which makes sense because... That's number four. That's the fourth beast that in chapter seven he talks about. And then in another previous chapter, remember Daniel saw the Im- uh, excuse me, Be- uh, Nebuchadnezzar had saw that image, the head of gold and the silver and so forth. And again, it was the same order. It was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. Then the beasts, Babylon, Greece, excuse me, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. So here. We see it again. He's not mentioning Babylon, but he's men- mentioning the other, the other kingdoms. And so this little horn is talking about the Roman Empire. 
Let's look at that again. Verse 9. And out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. So these three directions correspond to the three major areas that fell under the domination of Rome. Chapter 7, it's referred to as the terrible beast. Rome becomes very vicious, and of course, it doesn't just deal with the Rome of the past, but there also is a revised Roman Empire that is to come in the future that is to be ruled by the Antichrist. So again, as you get into prophetic scripture, you'll see that it's talking about the past, the present, and the future. So we're to be learning about our future by looking at our past. That's why the prophet Isaiah says that he's been declaring the end from the beginning. God has been declaring the end from the beginning. So the end is all the way back in the beginning. History does repeat itself. So we should be able to learn from history. But unfortunately, most people never really learn from history. And they keep repeating the same mistakes. Except for you and I. That's why we get into these things. So we don't repeat the same mistakes. We learn from history because it's going to repeat itself. And so verse 10 in talking about the future and talking about the terrible kingdom, talking about the Roman Empire, not only as a natural empire and a future empire, but as a spiritual empire, something ruled by the Antichrist or by Satan himself. It says in verse 10, and it, talking about the horn, it grew up to the hosts of heaven and cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. That's very interesting. That sounds to me like Revelations chapter 12, verse 4, when it talks about the dragon and how his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So again, you see the same thing with this horn. You see it casting these stars to the earth, representing of the angels falling with Satan. Verse 11 He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifices were taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, of course, that's what Rome did back in 70 A.D. The Roman Empire, they came in and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple. They desecrated it. And so they took away the daily sacrifices, just like he's talking about here. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. So, of course, that's talking about Rome. But then there's a future revised Roman Empire, so to say. will be led by the Antichrist. And he will do a lot of the same things. He will persecute the church and the Jewish people. Verse 12, because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. He cast truth down to the ground. How many of you know truth isn't just knowledge? Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He didn't say, I have the truth. He said, I am the truth and the life. And so truth being cast down to the ground, we know it was the Romans that crucified our Lord. They cast the truth to the ground. They crucified, they killed the Lord Jesus. And so I believe that's what it's referring to here. In fact, Jesus, in talking to the governor of Rome, Pontius Pilate, he said, well, after Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus answered in verse 37 of John 18. Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? They cast truth to the ground. 
You see here, they had no, he's representing the Roman government and there's no regard for the truth. And we got to watch because that philosophy is in much of the world today, filling our country today, undermining so many things. Undermining the word of God, undermining our history, undermining our, the, our foundations that we've built our life on, our traditions that we've built our life on. What is truth? They say, well, it's all relevant. What you think is truth and what this person thinks of truth is truth to them. It's all relevant on whatever you say. See, that was the Roman Empire's attitude. That's obviously what they were learning in their public schools. In Rome. And as a result of that, what did you have? You had tyranny. You had vicious, vicious tyranny. The Roman government was a vicious, vicious government. And that's exactly what we'll get if we cast truth to the ground, if we think it's just relevant and we don't understand that truth is the Lord Jesus, truth is the Word of God. It is absolute whether anyone else agrees with it or not. And it's what we build our life on. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free, which is the opposite of tyranny. The opposite of tyranny. So just cast truth down and have tyranny. Build your life on the truth and have freedom. Have liberty. Verse 13. Then I heard... A holy one speaking. And another holy one said to that certain one who is speaking. How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation? The giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. How long? How long? The sanctuary is desecrated, destroyed by the Roman government, how long will it be trampled underfoot? That reminds me of what Jesus said in talking about the last days in Luke chapter 21. In verse 24, he says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Talking about the children of Israel. Talking about the fall of Jerusalem. Talking about the destruction of the temple. That's what he's just mentioning there. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Notice that goes right along with how Daniel worded it. He said, both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. Here, Jesus says, Jerusalem will be trampled By Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars. And on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. So at the time when the Gentiles are fulfilled. We're going to see all these signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And all this distress and perplexity among nations. I believe we're right there. We're right there. We're coming into the end of the age. And the time of the Gentiles is winding down. Or wrapping up. In other words, the time for the Gentiles to be saved is being fulfilled. And what's going to happen at the end of that? The grace of God is going to come strong upon the Jewish people. And they're going, their eyes are going to be open and they're going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And man, they're going to really get wound up about their Lord. When they realize they've been deceived and that Jesus is the Messiah. And we saw a lot of that repeated many times, that theme over in the book of Revelation. So that's what Daniel's talking about. How long is this going to go on for? Well, until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jesus said, yeah. And during that time, this is the kind of signs you're going to see. It'll be, it'll be the time of the end. Verse 14. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Then it happened. When I, Daniel had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, 
that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. So see, it's not just dealing with what we've seen throughout history in the past with these empires. No, no, no. This is the time of the end. Verse 18. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. What a time to go to sleep. I mean, my Lord. I mean, thank God he didn't come to my church. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, you got someone anointed like this standing up there, preaching to him. And uh, I mean, he's in this vision and he decides he's going to fall asleep. No, no, actually, he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with what he's seeing. And it's like he's sleeping. It's more like he fainted. He's just kind of out of it. And um, I was asleep on my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. Praise God. You know, we get excited when, when the presence of God comes in and angels come in here and the power of God touches people and they fall down. Here, man, the power was so strong, it stood him up after it knocked him down. Power of God overwhelmed him, he fell down, and then stood him up. Man, we got to see that kind of power in the sanctuary. Wouldn't that be awesome? Have a prayer line, you know, they all fall down, people fall down under the power of God, then you come back the other way, and they all come back up again. Without any help from an usher. It's the power of God. Now, verse 18, as he was speaking, I was in a deep sleep. Verse 19, he said to me, look. I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall be. Verse 20, the ram you saw. And he begins to talk about the ram and, and the goat, which we've already looked at. And then verse 23, very clear, begins to become very clear in talking about the Antichrist. It says, in the latter time of their kingdom... When the transgressors have reached their fullness. When transgressors, sinners, wicked people. Has reached their fullness. That's talking about coming to a full age. Full maturity. Think about wicked people coming to full maturity in their wickedness. I mean it would be hard to tell. The difference between them and Satan himself. I mean, they're just fully yielded to Satan. See, that's what's happening. Sin is maturing in the earth. Sinfulness is maturing among humans. But God is to be maturing among us Christians. We're not just to be being religious and just taking up space down here, we're to be maturing as well, so that we come into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So that you can't tell the difference between the church and Jesus. We're doing the same works as Jesus. And that's what we need. Because you're going to have a world full of people that look like the devil himself. Just as wicked and devious as the devil himself. But praise God, there needs to be in the church a group of people that just look like the Son of God himself. Right? They look like Jesus himself. Jesus is here in the flesh. And what a conflict will arise then when you've got Jesus and Satan. And how people know Satan, there's no match for Jesus. There's no match for Jesus. Verse 23. In the latter times of the kingdom, when transgressors reach the fullness, a king shall arise. It's the Antichrist. Having fierce features. Interesting way to describe him. Who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. I mean, he's going to make Hitler look like nothing. 
Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without human means. How many people know there's going to be an end to the Antichrist? It look like, man, he's just taken over the world. He just rules everyone and everything. Who can stop him? But his reign is very short. He will be destroyed and he will be cast into the lake of fire. While you're enjoying heaven throughout all eternity, the devil and his Antichrist will be in torment day and night forever and ever. Remember that. You and I are eternal beings. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. No matter what goes on, no matter what the Antichrist does, no matter what kind of pain and suffering one may experience in this life, it's nothing for those that pass from this life into all the glories of heaven where we stand in the presence of our King and see Him face to face. Hallelujah. We must always remember that because it's the joy that's set before us that's going to enable us to endure the shame, to endure the pain, to endure any kind of persecution that might come because we walk and follow in Jesus' name. Verse 26. And the vision of the evenings and the morning which, I, which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. Notice that seal up the visions. Because it, it, it's so far out in the future. Yet when you come to the book of Revelation. We see the Lord Jesus opening up the seals. Right? Opening up the seals. So it was time to open the seals. Now it's time for the seals to be open because the time is at hand. It's not somewhere way out in the future like it was for Daniel. The time is at hand. Verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted. Watch this. I fainted and was sick for many days. Afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision But no one understood it. That's something to take heed to right there. The fact that Daniel was sick for many days because of some of the things he saw pertaining to the future. It was sickening. It was that overwhelming to him. That just having the vision, not actually living it, but having the vision was sickening. It made him sick for many, many days. Chapter... 11, chapter 11. You all receiving some things tonight? Chapter 11, verse 1. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Who's this talking about? Uh, This is an angel. Uh, Remember, we left off over in chapter 10, where there was an angel. Daniel had set his heart to pray and to seek out Uh, Seek for understanding concerning uh, things that God had revealed to him in Scripture. And uh, uh, an angel had come. It was released the day that Daniel set his heart to know the truth. This, This angel was released. But it took the angel 21 days to get to Daniel. Because of all these other demonic forces that were hindering the angel. And so that's who's talking to Daniel here. And he says, uh, I even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Talking about King Darius. I, I strengthened him. See, there's, there's angels behind our leaders. And there's demons behind some leaders. And so we want to make sure that, angel, uh, that uh, leaders that yield to angels and not demons are the ones that are leading our life, leading our nation. So here this angel strengthened him, was there, supporting him. Verse 2, it says, and now I will tell you. This is the angel talking to Daniel. I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. Three more kings will arise. And that's exactly uh, what, uh, what did happen. The, one of those kings was Cyrus. The other one was Cambyses. Cambyses. That's C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S. 
and Darius. Those are the three kings that arose in Persia. And then the fourth shall be far richer than them all. And that fourth king of Persia and the last king of Persia is Xerxes. And you spell that X-E-R-X-E-S. And he was richer. He was a very, very rich king. And it goes on. It says, by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king. Who do you think that is? Talking about this mighty king of Greece. Again, we're back to Alexander the Great. Shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And so history teaches that Xerxes did in fact stir up the Greeks, which led to Persia being conquered by the mighty king Alexander the Great. Verse 4, And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Again, Alexander died. His kingdom was divided among his four generals. You want me to give you the names of the generals? Okay. Lysimachus. It's L-Y-S-I-M-A-C-H-U-S. Then Antipater, And then Seleucus. And then Ptolemy. Ptolemy. It's actually spelled P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. But you don't hear the P. So it's Ptolemy. Those are the four, the four generals. Verse 5. Also the king of the south which is Egypt, shall become strong as well as one, of the, as one of his princes. He shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. So it, it gets into a lot of history here. The south is Egypt. The king of the south is uh, Ptolemy I. And the prince, one of his princes, is Seleucius I of Syria. And it happened just like it says here. One gained power over him. Dominion, da, da, da. Verse 6. And at the end of some years, they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority. And neither he nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her. And with him who strengthened her in those times. So, the north here is referring to Syria. The daughter of the king of the south is the daughter of Ptolemy II. He was given to Antiochus I. So, I can go on. There's a lot of history here. And I could bore you out of your socks with all this history. Uh, but it does describe history very well. You know, when you do, you go back and you study and you look into these things. It's really quite amazing. Talking about the daughter, talking about what she did and the rebellion that she led and all these, the conspiracies. It's just, it really is just amazing how history bears out these words spoken by Daniel the prophet. Here in verse 7 it says, But from a branch of her roots... One shall arise in his place who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. So that branch of her roots is talking about Ptolemy III of Egypt. He invaded Syria in 246 B.C. There were constant struggles between these kingdoms. As you go on and read the next verses, it's, you see there's a lot of strife. It mentions strife several times in the next verses. I'm not going to just read all these verses and give you the history that I've gained from it, learned from it. So let's just jump down over a lot of these details. Let's go to verse 18 as we begin to see the end times, the Antichrist begin to take shape more clearly. It says in verse verse 18, After this shall turn, he shall turn his face 
to the coastlands shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face towards the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. So he's not going to be honored or voted in as king. Uh, He's going through deception. He's going to take the throne. And he's referred to as a vile person. Of course, we know the Antichrist will be an extremely vile person. He also will come to power in this way through deceit. That's how he will come into power. Uh, But history does talk about another vile person who fits this description. And again, it is Antiochus IV who wrestled control of the Syrian kingdom. He was a very vile person. It says in verse 28, it says, While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. The holy covenant there is referring to Israel and the Jewish people, whom, if we're talking about Antiochus, if we're talking about him, he persecuted the Jews mercilessly mercilessly. So again, you see some past history, a very vile, wicked person that did these things, but also this is what's coming again in the future. Verse 29, at the appointed time he shall return and go towards the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So again, He's coming against God's holy people. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. So if you want favor with the Antichrist, if you, want, if you don't want to be tortured by him, if you don't want to be heavily persecuted by him, then um, show regard for those who forsake the covenant, the holy covenant. We can say the holy word of God. See, now, see, the devil, he, he would like to get people to, he, he doesn't want to just kill Christians. He wants Christians to deny Christ, deny their, their, their allegiance to the word of God. And so if you, hey, if you show disrespect towards the covenant, if you turn against those who are covenant-keeping people, then you will have favor. Turn in some of these holy covenant-keeping people. Turn them in. Turn them in. We'll reward you. And so that's what it means there. Verse 31. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Well, what's this talking about? Well, going back to Antiochus, he went in and placed an image of Zeus in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and sacrificed a pig on the altar back in 167 B.C. So, you know, you could say, well, that's the abomination of desolation. It was an abomination what he did. He came in and destroyed the sanctuary, just like the Romans did later after that. However, Jesus almost... Approximately 200 years after Jesus referred to the abomination of desolation as yet a future event associated with the Antichrist. We see that over in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 15. It says, therefore, Jesus talking, when you see the abomination of desolation. See, it hadn't happened yet. So it had happened. If you, if you look at Antichus, but yet it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. It's something that's going to happen. 
Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Have you ever heard about the great tribulation? Great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. There'll be no time like it. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I've heard people say, well, you see, we're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured. And the elect is talking about the Jewish people. They're referred to as the elect. Well, no, you've got to read your epistles. You just got to read your epistles. And we are called God's elect. The church is called God's elect. Now, if we've been raptured and taken out of here before the great tribulation, then why would he say, for the elect's sake, those days concerning the great tribulation needed to be shortened? They needed to be shortened for whose sake? That's you and I. That's the church. That's God's people. Quite obviously, we would, it wouldn't matter to us if the days were shortened, if you and I had been raptured and are in heaven. So there's a lot, of, lot, 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 lot of contradiction and things taught concerning a pre-tribulation rapture that has no scriptural basis, no scriptural basis whatsoever. But so many have embraced it. However, my revised version of the truth concerning the great tribulation, a faith guide for the final days, will be ready and in your hands sometime February, March. Hallelujah! So Jesus uses this historic event that Daniel refers to to show us, to help us to see what's coming in the future. Going on here, we really begin to see the Antichrist unfold. Verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. You know, if you don't do wickedly against the covenant, I'm talking about the Word of God, the New, the Old Covenant. If you don't do wickedly against it, but you're a doer of it, it's going to be hard for you to be seduced. It's going to be hard for you to be flattered by the devil or demon-possessed people. It's going to be hard for you to be tricked. Because you're so grounded in the truth. Hard to be tricked when you're grounded in the truth. But he'll flatter and seduce and corrupt those who do wickedly against the covenant. Against the word of God. But the people who know their God shall be strong. Yes, even during these hostile times in the great tribulation. They shall be strong. Come on. And carry out great exploits. Whoo, hallelujah. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Those who understand what's going on because they are at church on Wednesday night or live streaming the service. While being taught about the abomination and the desolation and the coming of the Antichrist and end time events. They'll have understanding. Nothing's going to get them by surprise. They're going to recognize exactly the time that they're living in. And so they'll teach many. They'll teach many. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Many will give their lives as martyrs and die victorious deaths. Victorious death. Can death be victorious? Yes, if you die as a martyr. If you die in faith, praise God. What rewards are ahead of those who lay their lives down for the gospel? Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join with them by intrigue or deception. You got to watch out for false brethren entering into the flock. 
Entering into the fold. A lot of false brethren. You know, if the devil can't stop you, he'll try to sneak in and act like he's one of you. And we need to be smart. We need to know the Word of God and have discernment so we can recognize those who are really with us and those who are not. See, he talks about that over in 1 John chapter 2 in referring to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We know uh, it says that you have an anointing of the Holy One and you know all things. How many people are familiar with that verse? That's in verse, uh, verse 20 in chapter uh, John chapter 1 verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. But many times people don't really know the context that that's spoken in. Context is spoken in as you go back in verse 19. That was verse 20. Let's look at verse 19, 1 John. They went out from us, talking about us here at church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. None of them were really of us. They were among us. They acted like they were a part of us, but they never really were among us. You say, well, how do we know? Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You know all things. See, you know all things. Specifically in its context, it's talking about you know who the, those that are with you and those who are not. You know those who are genuine and those who are false brethren. Sheep, uh, wolves rather, wolves in sheep's clothing. See, we have an anointing and we know. Praise God. All right, now verse 35. Some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white. Now, they didn't fall because God made them fall, but they fell. They fell. They missed it. They got into sin. They missed it. And what the devil meant for evil, because their hearts are right, and they turned to God in their fall, they were made white, and they were refined. They were purified. It turned into a purifying experience. So even, even your fall, even when a Christian messes up, if he repents and turns to God, he gets purified, refined, and made better, made stronger. Verse 36, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. Shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Again, the time of the great tribulation is also known as the time of wrath. The time of wrath. So, until the wrath is accomplished. Verse 37. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. So, in other words, this could be letting us know that he will be a homosexual. Talking about the Antichrist. He has no desire for women. No regard, or no regard any God. For he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. So here in talking about homosexuality, it's interesting that it is referred to as an abomination. And here the Antichrist will perform the abomination of desolation in the temple. So is there a connection to all those things? Verse 39. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. He shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At that time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with mighty ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land. Talking about Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Over all the precious things, you know, again, that would be easy. 
If everything was electronic currency, then it would be easy then to have control over all the silver and all the gold, all the money, all the currency of the earth. If, of course, it's all electronic, which it will be, because we see that in other places. Verse 43, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So Edom, Moab, Ammon is talking about Jordan, modern day Jordan. Ethiopians talking about Sudan. And again, the glorious land is Israel. Verse 44, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. I don't know, when I hear annihilate, I just think nuclear, don't you? Nuclear. And of course we see in other scriptures and things that we've already looked at in the past, nuclear war will be a part of the great tribulation period. He will annihilate many. Verse 45, and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet, he shall come to his end, and no one shall help him. He shall come to an end. Just like we see in Revelation 19. The devil will come to an end, and nobody will be able to help him. Even though he has mustered all this power, nobody's going to be able to help the devil when that angel comes with that big chain and comes and binds the devil and casts him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Praise God. That day's coming. Devil's going to be bound. And then there'll be a thousand years of peace upon the earth. Praise God. Things will settle down. The earth will be, start to be restored from all its nuclear devastation and famine, all the terrible things that we see happening in the great tribulation period. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released for a very short time, and then Jesus will return. Praise God forever. And then we'll return with him. And all things will be made new. Can you say amen? Praise God forever. How many people have a little bit more of a handle on history? Not just the past, but our future history. Knowing what's coming. We know it's coming in the days ahead so we don't have to be taken by surprise by anything. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's stand on our feet. Let's thank God for his word. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.